Hello, and welcome to Living It Radio. I'm Kelly DiNardo, here with Amy Pierce Hayden. We are the authors of Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. Through our book and this podcast, we aim to make the principles of yoga alive, active, accessible, and personal. On this podcast, we go deeper into the topics we address in the book by talking to compelling people who can help us live an inspired, connected, joyful life. Today, we are joined by Petra Kolber, author, speaker, and podcast host. Petra's book, The Perfection Detox, looks at how we can tame our inner critic, shake off the need to be perfect, and live with joy. In this interview, we talk about what it means to be a recovering perfectionist, when perfectionism serves us and when it doesn't, and how we can get rid of toxic thinking. Petra, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you. Oh, it's my privilege to be here. Thanks for inviting me on to your amazing show. Oh, thank you. We are going to dive right in because Amy and I have a very long list of questions. We have so many things we want to cover today. Um, Let's start with just some of your backstory. Your career is really interesting. You started as a dancer and eventually became a very well-known fitness instructor. You starred in exercise DVDs and were on the back of a special K-Box. And now you're a motivational speaker. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I think, you know, movement's always been a part of what I do. And when I was a dancer, also being from the UK, we tend to be very much realists. You're not taught in the UK to dream big. You know, you're very much taught, okay, remember where you came from and who you are. So when I moved to New York City, I realized very quickly I was a good dancer, but nowhere near Broadway, you know, capabilities. So I had fallen back on this thing called aerobics at the time. (laughs) And I think maybe it was a a mixture of my dance background, my English accent, which was much stronger at the time. Through luck and hard work, I came across this company called Reebok and was put under contract. And you're very kind to say DVDs. I actually go as far back as VHS tapes. (laughs) Thank you for that. I'm I'm aging myself. And I had a very, really beautiful career traveling around the world doing this thing called exercise. And... uh, you know, with any company, you know, they fall away after a while. They have to reinvent themselves. And I reinvented myself. And along this journey, meeting so many incredible women and men, I kept seeing this one underlying, oh, basically Achilles heel, that they look so powerful and beautiful walking into a class or a coaching session, but they would always see everything that was wrong with them in mm-hmm. the mirror. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And when people left my sessions or my classes, they'd say, you you inspire me. I'm like, okay, this is great, but how do you package inspiration? And then I kind of came across this thing called positive psychology. And I went back to school for positive psychology, which really is inspiring yourself to lead a flourishing life. And then through that, I became a speaker. I had a beautifully, a beautiful audience that trusted, trusted me as I kind of changed my branding from, you know, what you're doing in movement as to why are you moving? What is the motivation behind getting yourself up every day to be your best self and movement such a piece of that? And so I was very blessed early in my career as a speaker to be doing some keynotes and I did a TEDx and that kind of pivoted very quickly into a career where I could still have move people, but I physically didn't have to move and sweat and do burpees, which I don't like to do anyway. But I could move, I could move people through the power of the word and the power of the imagination and the power of dreamscaping. And that's kind of what brought me to where I am today. Well, I love the title of your recent book, The Perfection Detox, because in your introduction, you make a very sweet, funny joke saying, so hopefully I'm going to inspire you to fall in love with me, but you might not if you thought this was about a diet, right? Because that's what we, we tend to think of with anything detoxifying. But I'm more interested in you talking a little bit about this idea of what it means to be a a perfectionist in recovery, because like anything that we sort of get patterned into What's your take on that? Is are you are you are you still in recovery from being a perfectionist when we're in recovery from something? Is that constant? I think it's such a great question. I yes, I think you always are because 
The thing about perfectionism, what it does not allow you to do is follow through on your dreams because I put in the name her to, to the idea of perfectionism and it's not always a bad thing. I say like anything, perfection is only a word until you attach an identity or a belief about yourself to that word. And here's the thing. So I'm in recovery because, you know, I wrote a book. I became a keynote speaker. I did a TEDx. None of them which are perfect. But then what it also allows you to do when you're in this recovery mode or you're facing your fears versus putting them in, putting them in a box and looking at them as a negative and facing the challenges about, you know, your darker side, let's per se, and looking at your full package, which is the highlights and the more challenging times in your life, it allows you to stretch your dreams. And here's the thing. So you think you get over perfectionism and then you go for another dream. Mm -hmm. And so it or he or her, they show up again, maybe with a different voice, maybe with a different belief, maybe with a different um, outfit, maybe with different lipstick. But she or he will show up again for as long as you keep challenging yourself. And I hope that everyone listening to your show is constantly challenging themselves so they can grow and in turn you know, share their message and be of service to the people that they want to help along the journey. And so, you know, why I think, you know, our life ebbs and flows, our happiness ebbs and flows, our success ebbs and flows, so does this voice of perfection. The more I'm in my comfort zone doing what I know, doing what I've already mastered, I'm not really dealing with it so much. You know, I can revisit the lessons that I teach but anytime I try something new, you know, they say, I often say, you know, you learn it to teach it, you live it to preach it. Mm -hmm. And anytime I think, oh, I've mastered I've this thing. It. Yes, I am. A, I'm a master at this. I'm a, you, the universe is going to go. Oh, yes, sister. Here we go. Here's another lesson, because I also believe as teachers, um, as both you are, uh, Kelly and Amy, your teachers, the, if we get too far away from the message that we're teaching, I think that can also become a problem too, because then, yeah, you then, you can't really connect on that empathy le le level to the people who are right in the midst of what maybe I'm only two or three steps ahead of, you know, going through this process and where all our stories are different. We're all going to have similar challenges in, in some shape or form. So I think the universe is, is it kind of, I really, um, the times I've looked up at her and rolled my eyes and going, really? You know, you're going to give me another lesson. But it's also a gift too, because like, ah, I have to revisit everything that I teach. And I think it just makes me a better teacher in the process. Well, you talk about that as an opportunity. Yes, on my Challenges. good days. Yes, yes, on my good days. <laughs> on my not so good days, I'm giving it a whole different word. But, <laughs> but yes, I mean, this is the whole thing about fix versus growth mindset, about cleaning your thoughts, purifying who you are on and off the mat. It's recognizing that we get to choose. You know, we really get to choose. Do we see something as a threat or an opportunity? Mm. And, you know, that that same feeling of excitement and and creativity or or fear and worry, they run on the same nervous system. So it's when we're not aware of what's triggering the thoughts and we keep rushing and being human doings versus human beings, that's when we get into trouble. But when I can sit and suddenly go, oh, whatever's in front of me, I'm feeling anxious versus excited. I'm looking at this as a threat versus a challenge. What are my thoughts underneath this that's driving me to look at this particular, you know, challenge or threat, depending on which way or which lens I choose to view it through? I then have the opportunity to reframe or reboot my perception of what's in front of me to take it over from a challenge into an opportunity, over from a risk of failing into a risk of what can I learn and grow from. And it's just bringing that awareness that, you know, you bring to the mat, you bring to your yoga practice, you bring to your life and, and especially your thoughts. So I'm going to back us up a tiny bit because I think before we talk about how we recover from perfectionism, <laughs> we should talk about what perfectionism is. And so what is perfection? What does it look like to you now? And, and what did it look like to you before when you maybe had developed I don't know if obsession is the right word, but maybe, you know, an unhealthy relationship with perfectionism. Yeah, that's such a good question. So I think for everyone listening, we all have a different relationship with this word perfection. And so the first question I often ask people I'm working with is, hey, when you think of perfection, 
in three areas of your life, your work life, your relationships, and your relationship with yourself. Does it backfire? Does it pay off? Or does it paralyze you? Because some people will often say, especially high achievers, and I'm one of them, they'll say, well, if I gave up perfection, it served me really well in my business life. And I'll go, great. And how are your relationships? How is the relationship with yourself? Is it perfection at any cost? Or can you pursue this word called perfection and still have joy along the way? And only you and the person listening can answer that. So some people might go, you know, hey, Petra, when I think of trying to be perfect at work, it actually motivates me. Then I would offer to them, don't change a thing. Because that's a healthy relationship with that word and how it plays out in your life. The question you asked me is, for many years, I didn't realize what I thought was actually helping me pursue my dreams was actually separating me from the joy along the journey and with the very people I wanted to inspire and influence. And it was a therapist and one of my many sessions that I was trying to analyze this thing, I was having anxiety attacks that I didn't really look at, especially in the world of fitness, because that wasn't sexy, that wasn't something I would talk about. So I kind of ignored them. And what you don't own will own you. So that anxiety grew into panic attacks and they were debilitating. So I started going to therapy and we, we analyzed panic up and down, left and right, and what was causing it. But we never looked at this idea of perfect me trying to show up perfectly. And I remember I was leaving my therapist's office and I can't remember what she said. She said, you know what, Petra, I think this idea of you always having to show up perfectly, and we hadn't really done a deep dive on it. She was like, here's the thing, no one can relate to perfection. Close the door, but that one sentence really resonated with me. And it wasn't about the word perfection. It was how deeply I wanted to relate and motivate the million, the thousands of people I was reaching, you know, through the TV shows, through VHS tapes, through my, you know, my travels, that I was like, oh my gosh, the very thing I thought was helping me was separating me exactly. Because what I go on to say is no one connect to perfection, we connect in our cracks. So that really sent me down this idea of, well, maybe what I thought was working isn't working so well. And it didn't happen overnight, but it was me changing the lens of what I thought I needed to be to be an expert or an industry leader. I had this false idea from my young age, my young, my, you know, my childhood that I needed to be an expert or to be a thought leader. I needed to be the perfect expert or the perfect thought leader and the perfect fitness person and eat the right things. And, you know, I remember going out for dinner when I had a TV show and if someone came over to me and I had to say an enchilada, I would throw it over to my friend's side and like pull a salad in front of me because I thought I can't have anyone seeing me be human. I needed to be this perfectly, you know, perfect, perfect specimen. And it just... And how exhausting. It's exactly what I was going to say. It's exhausting because at every moment, instead of being present, is what you teach, you know, to be present. I was always two steps ahead. Is someone going to say something that I don't know the answer to? Is someone going to catch me making a mistake? Am I going to be 10 pounds too heavy for the next, you know, TV gig? I was always worrying about what could happen and then gosh forbid, if I'd made a mistake, which I'm sure I made plenty, I'd be obsessing about this tiny little flaw, you know, this magnifying everything that we think is wrong with us and minimizing the good stuff. And so, you know, instead of working hard with joy, I was working hard with this idea of like absolute fear around my neck that's going to get found out for not being this perfect human being. So you say, this is a really interesting idea that I think you mentioned right in the beginning of the introduction of your book. You say a perfectionist can never meet what they're striving for. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, because perfection doesn't allow you to, the, the thing about perfectionism, unhealthy perfectionism, a Who's setting the bar anyway? Right. Who decides what perfect is? I mean, it's an illusion because your idea of perfect and mine is going to be very, very different depending on what we're talking about. It becomes really unhealthy when perfectionism becomes the basement level. 
that unless it's perfect, I'm not going to say it. Unless it's perfect, I'm not going to try it. Unless it's perfect, I'm not going to share it. Unless, so what it does, it stops us from sharing our work, our voice, our ideas with the world because in a perfectionist's mind, it's never going to be good enough because mm-hmm. there's always room for better, which there probably is. But the way, the only way for those listening, if you're, you know, sharing your work with the world, even in relationships, the only way anything's going to get better, closer to great, good, whatever is important to you, is in relationship with your customers, with your loved ones, with your family, with your coworkers. The way things get better is not in a vacuum of your mind. You know, ideas die in isolation. So. As a perfectionist, I will sit for hours and mull over these beautiful ideas that in my mind are fantastic, but I would never be able to execute them in person in the way that my mind sees, because A, I'm already viewing myself as a flawed human being. I'm always always seeing the negative versus the good, because that's just the way the mindset works, especially with perfection. It doesn't allow you to do your best work. So I can imagine listeners nodding their head right now. People who are like, I, I, I can't do, I won't take action because I just don't want to get it wrong. Was there one key thing that you started to do? Was it, was it becoming more vulnerable? Like, how did you begin that process to show flaws in, your, in the beginning of this process? That's such a good question. Because, yes, because I know for someone listening, they go, that's great. She wrote a book on it. She did tell it. But how? And this is the very reason. But how do, how I, do I do get it? rid of it perfectly, right? So <laughs> the first step is to recognize your what is your relationship to this idea of failure? Because I think that was a, my biggest Achilles heel was this idea of making a mistake. And here's where perfection can really overstep its boundaries. I love Tara Brock. She says, fear is only a problem when it oversteps its boundaries. So mm-hmm. is perfection. It's a problem when you don't make a mistake. You, if you make an error, you view yourself as an error. I didn't make a mistake. I am the mistake. We don't own, we can't separate who we are from what we do. So the first thing I had to recognize is, A, if I make a st- mistake, it actually endears you to, the, to your audience because they're like, oh my gosh, she's just like me. And I could have fun with it and I could be in the moment and I could respond to it. And actually it was very, a very teachable moment. And what I recognized was when I didn't die from making a mistake, you know, the world didn't end, it's like, And it's kind of like a muscle. The more I allowed myself to be vulnerable and I don't go out, like I don't believe in failing my way to the top. I don't want to make mistakes, but if I make one, I know I can forget about it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I get to learn from the mistakes. I say there's data in the disasters and there's research in the rejections. You know, even the most painful rejections in relationships, there are beautiful lessons, which while I wish we didn't have to learn through the challenges, it sounds so trite, but the, the where I have grown the most are never in the successful moments. <laughs> you know, those are great, like, yay, my work is, you know, my, all my hard work has paid off, but where I've learned and I've grown are in all the failures and the doubts and the worries leading to that success. So I think the first thing is to reestablish or just look at if you think of making a mistake, what does that mean to you? I mean, where does it resonate with you? And I think we often confuse this idea of being ex- of um, being excited for something. If we're not looking at what's motivating us, we, we can misplace excitement for anxiety. And something that helped me a lot, especially when I was out in the public eye, and I still am, is the minute you find that this idea of perfection is holding you back, I am kindly suggesting that you've put the lens of where the focus is on you. Like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid that I'm going to make a mistake, that they're going to notice what I'm doing. Here's the harsh truth. No one cares that much. We're all so busy worrying about ourselves that if I can then put my lens back out into the world, who do I want to help? How can this message help one person? How can I be of influence to someone that needs to hear what it is that I can, you know, my, my pain point? How can I turn my seven years of anxiety into the cliff notes so you don't have to go through it? The minute we take the lens off worrying about us and putting it onto the lens of who can I serve and help by doing this work and sharing this work, it will shift because it's no longer about you. 
And perfection doesn't know what to do with a place of gratitude and servitude. When we're serving others, and from a place of I am grateful to be here today, it kind of takes that, that lid off that worry of being perfect, making mistakes, because in the end, it's got nothing to do with that, is how can I impact, how many people can I reach, how can I shape my message to be of value to them versus of worrying about ourselves. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, you're taking the spotlight off of yourself and redirecting it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's not that the, you know, here's another thing I get pushback on, especially from high achievers. Well, you know, if I give up perfection, they suddenly see themselves as I just did this past weekend, binge watching uh, a TV show, which nothing wrong in that, but you're not, that's not going to happen. But what it will do is allow for joy along the journey. I say, if you're working this hard, shouldn't you have some fun along the way? And I think you may actually work harder because you're no longer bound by this worry of making a mistake. You're actually fueled by creativity, curiosity, potential. What if I tried this? All the things that are off limits because perfection is not gonna allow you to be truly creative because to be truly creative means taking risks. To take risks means you may make a mistake. Perfection is not gonna allow you to do that. So I often say to people, you know, I know you think you've hit this amazing level of success. I bet you, if you actually strive for more joy versus more perfection, you haven't even begun to begin to tap into your potential because you've actually limited the risks, the creativity, the curiosity, the ability to ask people for help. Gosh forbid, I'm a perfectionist. I'm not going to say to someone, I don't know the answer. So I'm going to limit the situations I put myself in. I'm going to limit the conversations to ones that I know I can control. And your best work is never going to happen in that situation. I feel like we're kind of circling around something here, which I want to <laughs> get at. Because you say in the book that um, to start with, in terms of detoxing from perfection, that you want to think about the three thoughts you keep coming back to. And you talk about the difference between reflecting on them and ruminating on them. So I'd love for you to, to tell us the difference between rumination and reflection, and then talk to us a little bit about how you get from rumination into reflection so that it's much more positive. Yeah, such a good question. The thing is, we have this thing called the negativity bias. You know, our brain's default is what kept us alive, you know, our ancestors alive, and it's why we're here today having this beautiful conversation, is this thing called the reptilian brain. And the unfortunate, unfortunate thing is that it tends to focus on the negative. It had to do that to keep us alive. The problem is it's our default. So our brain's default is to automatically focus on the negative in our life. If I was to say to your listeners, you know, think about last week, you had 10 interactions, five were neutral, you walk into the situation feeling good, you walk out feeling good. Four were positive, you walked out, walk in feeling good, you walked out feeling great. And one was negative. You walked in feeling good, you walked out feeling not quite as good as you did when you started that email, phone conversation, meeting, whatever. The one we will always remember and ruminate on and kind of noodle on and chew on is the negative because that's our brain's default. So the first thing is to recognize it's not a character flaw. I have so many people going, oh, thank goodness I'm not the only one. So it's not me. I'm like, no, 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 it's all of us. But when we're not aware of the, the driver in our brain, it can overstep its boundaries again. And with negativity, our brain loves to ruminate because that's a negative negative um, mode that it can spin into very quickly. That's when our brain will go on kind of rinse and repeat mm -hmm. without coming up with a solution. So if I was to reflect on, say, a phone call I had, hey, it could be six months ago, because if I never reflected on it and I just ruminated the negative, like, well, that didn't go as I had planned and they said this and blah, blah, blah. It, it will ruminate for as long as it's still in my system. So what I'm doing is I'm spinning the negative, but not making us, not taking the time to come up with a solution. Like they did this and I said this and da 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 da, I'm kind of pointing fingers. Versus going, well, that didn't go as a planned. I'm not looking at it from a, an appreciative lens, appreciative inquiry, like, ooh, with this lens of like, ooh, what could have gone better versus what went wrong, what could, have I, what could I have done differently? What maybe could they have done differently? 
How could I have started the conversation or the meeting on a different foot? What could have I have done to elevate it into a more positive tone? What that does, it allows a lesson even from something that didn't go so well. So reflection, it's not ignoring your past, um, but it's not, it's not simmering in your past. It's looking back at what we could improve upon and also looking back on our past with what went well, because I don't think we do that enough either. You know, look, often, you know, we're moving into the fall and gosh, New Year is not that far away. You know, we often like spend all our time looking forward to where we have to go. But I'm going to invite you to look back into your past in the positive things and sit and reflect and, you know, really appreciate all that you're doing so well. And then when you do look from your past and learn from it, well, maybe that didn't go quite as perfectly in air quotes as I had planned. What could I do differently? And that way we're not we're not throwing out the past because it was negative. We get to mind the past, go, okay, in this particular situation, should I face it again? Okay, this 90% went well. I'll bring that into my positive present and into my positive future. Hmm, maybe 8% of this, I need to kind of tweak next time. Maybe it's my language. Maybe it's my communication skills. Maybe it's, maybe it's just how I'm showing up personally every day. And maybe I can tweak that into iteration, positive, present, positive, future. And maybe this small 2% of this one particular conversation relationship didn't go great. And that I choose to leave in the past and not bring it into my powerful present and positive future. So that way we get to learn from our past versus being stuck in our past. Now we're gonna take a quick break from our chat with Petra to give a shout out to our show partners. Shambhala Publications is the proud publisher of our book, Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat, as well as Yoga for Healthy Aging, a guide to lifelong well-being by Baxter Bell and Nina Zolotow. As a listener of our show, you get 30% off your purchase with code SAUCHA30 at Shimbala.com. That's S-A-U-C-H-A-30, all caps on SAUCHA. Support for Living It is also brought to you by Alchemy Forever, a clean and clinical skincare line developed by Switzerland's top dermatologist. The products are anti-aging, paraben-free, gluten-free, cruelty-free, and ideal for all skin types. Use the code SUTRA20, all caps again, on SUTRA to get 20% off your Alchemy Forever products at alchemy-forever.com. And now, back to our conversation with Petra. One of the things you talk about with uh, this perfectionism state of mind is that it keeps us in a state of having really limited beliefs. And I'm really curious, out of all the thousands of people you've worked with, is there a very specific common limiting belief that people have like, I'm not good enough or that's and, and I know you work a lot with women. Do men have the same limiting beliefs around that? Like I might be found out. I'm an imposter. Yeah. Great question. I think the underneath belief, you can put what you want to it is called enoughness. Mm-hmm. I am not smart enough, thin enough, young enough, old enough, tall enough, sexy enough, funny enough. But at the end of the day, it's like, we don't feel enough. Mm-hmm. And I do believe men suffer from this also, but differently. I think, you know, I wrote the book from a woman's perspective because I also think the the expectations of us, like I was being interviewed by a guy a couple of months ago and he goes, look, if I show up, you know, with my two kids to the grocery, you know, the, the supermarket, I was like, oh, what a good dad, you know, right. like a mom shows up, no kudos there. It's like, they kind of expected. So as a female, you've got the mom expectations, you've got the work expectations, you've got the lover expectations, you've got the perfect partner expectations, you've got the best girlfriend. I do think it's different. I think men have them also, but not to the degree that women do. And I think they handle them differently. I think men will have this idea, they will not talk about it and they can separate they separate a little bit. I, I'm kind of talking out of turn here because I'm not going to any research. This is my own personal experience of speaking to guys. It's I think they can compartmentalize a little easier than females can. Mm. And I, I'm, I totally stand to be corrected on this. But I think the overarching theme from all of us 
is the imposter syndrome, men and women, that we often feel we're the only ones that are going to get found out. If we get a job promotion or, you know, we fall in love with someone or whatever it might be, we're like, oh, they really knew all about me. But the good and the negative news is that, you know, most of the people you admire, poets and writers and actors and, you know, science people, at some point they all feel like an imposter. So it's not that we're not going to feel like an imposter. It's what do you choose to do with that feeling? Is it going to stop you? Or you go, you look at it for what it is. So for example, um, just recently I started to learn how to DJ. So the imposter syndrome came up big time for me because I'm like, oh, my first enoughness, um, this is what I see about, you know, we, overcoming perfectionism. Does it ever go away? It, the voice just changes. Mm -hmm. So when I was writing my book, my enough, my enoughness at that point was, oh, you're not smart enough to be writing a book. Now my enoughness becoming a DJ was, oh, you're not young enough to learn mm -hmm. how to DJ. Right. Same voice, just a different. different message. But at the end of the day, it's got nothing to do with what I'm doing and what is the belief or who am I going to choose to believe? And that's just my own, my own view of the world. No one's ever once said to me, you're not young enough to start DJing. In fact, most people are like, OMG, that is so, so exciting. awesome. Yeah. And just recently to take this a little further, and I talk about this in leadership too, I went over to a hotel that's just right across the way. Because I knew to DJ or do anything on a regular basis, you've got to keep your skills up and you have to be accountable to somebody else. And I know this is not a big part of my my work at this point, I think it will be next year. So I went to the hotel and said, you know, would you like a DJ? And they said, oh my gosh, yes, we got Rosie on the rooftop. We'd love to have a DJ, it'd be great. And meet with our manager. So I met with the manager, he came walking across the bar and he's like 25. And my first thought was like, <laughs> oh, he's gonna think I'm too old. He was like, I cannot wait for you to start. Can you start tomorrow? Didn't ask to listen to me. Didn't ask. I'm like, but don't you want to listen? He goes, no, I just love your energy. So it's my own, it's my own personal projection. projection that what we believe to be true is true. And this is where the science of positive psychology and neuroscience, I think, is so compelling because what they're showing beyond a shadow of a doubt right now is whether you, you know, what's that? And whether you think it to be true, whether it's true or it's not, you're right. Your brain, your heart, your spirit does not know the difference between a thought and a fact. And this is where perfectionism can just cripple your dreams, your desires, what the world is waiting for you to do. Because if you believe, I'm not smart enough, you're not going to try. I'm not young enough, you're not going to try to the fullest of your capability, because you're going to stop yourself, your beliefs will stop you before anyone else will have the chance to shut you down. So one of the things that you talk about in, in one of the tools you talk about in the book for overcoming these limiting beliefs is to just clean up your language and switch from no, but to yes, and. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Talk to us a little bit about why that works and how that how that helps. Yeah, I think our default, a perfectionistic mindset, our default, if someone is going to offer you an opportunity that you're not quite sure you're ready for or that you're not quite sure you're going to be showing up perfectly or whatever. Your first thing is going to, your perfectionistic mindset, your inner critic is going, oh no. But then again, as a perfectionist, we don't let, we don't want to let someone down. So we're going to kind of clarify that. Oh no, not this time, but in the future, I would love to. And a prime example of that no, but was for me for many years, and this is in the book, I was a fitness expert, right? But I didn't quite believe it because I had that inner dialogue of, oh, you're not the perfect fitness expert. So every time a TV show or anything where I couldn't control the environment. So when I was doing VHS tapes, DVDs, the, the, the environment was somewhat controlled. It wasn't live. It was recorded. If I sweat or I said the wrong thing, we could you know do a do-over. On live TV, you don't get to control that. It's completely out of your control. Worst place of a perfect perfectionist to be. So for many years, I'd keep getting invitations and I'd say, oh, no, thank you. I'm booked for that date. But next, month, next time, please keep me in mind because I didn't want to close the door and I didn't want to, you know, let them down. And my wake up moment was when I said my first yes and. 
It was a Christmas around, oh, I think 2005, perfect time for, you know, New Year's resolution segments. And CBS early show had called me up. It wasn't the format that it is today. They said, they we're looking for, you know, a fitness expert for our New Year's ser- series. And we'd love to you know, have you. You write for Health Magazine. We have a great relationship with health. And right away before I could even think, I said, oh, no, because I'm already booked. But please keep me in mind next time. Put the phone down. And something happened at that moment. My heart said, enough. You know, my brain was going, you're not smart enough. You're, you know, you're not this enough. But my soul, my spirit went, enough, I'm done. And before I could have time to think, I picked up the phone and I said, yes, you know, I actually moved some things around in my date book. Complete lie. I hadn't moved anything around. Um, But yes, if it's still available, I would love to be there. And here was my wake up moment to that saying yes. And I'll clarify the and in a moment. They had said, Petra, we are so excited to finally have you on the show. We've been trying to get you on this show for like two years, but you're always busy. (laughs) I'd never been busy, but I'd been saying no but for the past two years for the fear of not being the perfect expert. So the show was two weeks out. My yes and was, look, at that very moment, I hadn't done the inner work. I wasn't ready to go onto the show that day, but I knew I had two weeks to get ready for my yes. And the and was the work I needed to do to get ready for my yes. So if we wait for the perfect moment to say yes, if we wait for us to be ready, we're never going to say yes. So when I say say yes and, you say yes to something in the future and then you're going to do the work to show up. Maybe it's doing more research if you need to do more research. Maybe it's learning a new DJ mixing formula if I need to get more you know, creative on that. Maybe it's asking for help. Maybe it's asking someone who's already done what it is that you want to do, how did you do it? But if we wait for our perfect yes, We're never going to say yes. So it's getting rid of our default of the no and the but is the, you know, the smooth over like but next time. And then we say yes and is the promise we make to ourselves to show up for ourselves and do the work that it will take to get ready for our and. And it doesn't mean being perfect, but it does mean being prepared so we can be of service to the people who are, you know, gifting us with their trust um, that we are the right person for the right whatever it is that they're asking us to do. And most of the time, no one's going to ask if they don't believe in us in the first place or they don't see something that they want to share with the world. That is such a great point because, you know, we often say, you know, everyone deserves a seat at the table. And for a long time, when I first moved back to New York, people would invite me to things that in my mind, I didn't think I was ready for. And then someone said the exact same thing, like you just said, no one's going to put their reputation on the line if they don't think you're ready. And it's, you know, they have trust in us, but at the end of the day, we have to have trust in ourselves. And, you know, we're seeing in leadership right now that The days of saying, you have to trust me because I said so and I hired you, those days are over. You know, the the younger generation, because of, I think, social media, there is a lack of trust in the world. But at the end of the day, we're not trusting ourselves. So if we can't trust ourselves, how are we ever going to trust other people? Mm -hmm. Uh, This brings me to something I really liked that you made a distinction between in your writing, which I think has to do with shame. Mm. And uh, you make a different, you say a lot of people are confused between guilt and shame and they kind of package them together within themselves. And would you say that kind of not readiness or feeling inadequate has to do with shame? Ooh, that's a great question. Hmm. Yeah, I do. Again, it's coming to overstepping its boundaries, mm-hmm. right? I mean, guilt is for, guilt is a, um, it's, guilt is a, it serves us well. You know, if you've done something wrong, it's it's a trigger to show you that you've done something wrong. Shame is that like, oh, it's like that green icky glue, that like, like goop that will come over you. It's like that, that a wave of an emotion that you you take it's almost like separating you can't separate yourself from the action it's like you're you're for showing up as who you are it's just not enoughness absolutely rules this idea of shame and um it's again separating an action you know sometimes guilt will actually be a really great teachable moment it's like oh i feel guilty i didn't handle that very well i could do better that's you know just okay learn from that shame doesn't teach us anything it just makes us feel worse about ourselves and it's one of the most paralyzing 
feelings and I think it oversteps its boundaries over and over again. The amount of times I felt complete shame over making the most ridiculous small human mistake was so inappropriate, was so out of context to the mistake that I made. There was no place for shame. But because of this, like you say, the lack of uh, feeling of like, I'm not enough, it's almost like we're pointing our finger at ourselves going, see, I told you you weren't ready. And now you've gone and proven yourself right. Versus a feeling of self-compassion, like, oh, you know, you did so well, you tried so hard. And something I just heard of very, very recently that I thought was such a lovely action step that I'm actually gonna talk about next week in um, a lecture I'm doing, is we're really good at self-annihilation. Oh yeah. <laughs> we're really good at self-analysis, but we're not good at self-compassion. And I know Kristen Naff speaks beautifully on this, but a thing we could do if when we catch ourselves feeling the shame, which it could be over a typo. I mean, look, I've done that. I send a typo. I'm like, oh my God, it's a typo. We all make typos. But it's this sense of taking one hand and putting it around the wrist of your other hand and holding yourself your own wrist for seven seconds because that releases oxytocin. Because I've talked a lot about the power of hugs and the power of touch releasing oxytocin, oxytocin, which is the feel-good hormone. It makes us feel quieter. It moves us out of fight, flight, and freeze, but we don't do it for ourselves. I thought, because I often say, you know, give yourself a hug. Who's going to do that really in public? Not many people. <laughs> but I could walk down the street in New York and gently hold my left wrist with my right hand and for seven seconds just go, oh, you did great. You tried your best. We can do, we'll do it again. We'll try different. And I just thought that was such a beautiful little um, reboot that we could all, if we do feel this shame that there's no place for it, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Just give yourself, instead of going deeper into that, like pointing fingers, give yourself a warm hug. And that might just be placing one hand over your other wrist for seven seconds or longer. I just thought, A, that also, that sense of touch is going to move you out of whatever just happened. It's going to move you into mm -hmm. the present. And then, you know, match that with breathing, like slowing down your breath. It just allows you to get out of of emotions that don't serve us into a place where we can then reboot and step back into our best, not perfect, but our best self so we can move forward in a positive way. Do you use a lot of breathing techniques or do you have a meditation practice that helps with all of this? Yeah, i be completely honest. Meditation is something I say every morning I'm going to do. Um, and I'm still, I'm still not perfect at that. But yes, I have a breathing practice a lot. My favorite mantra that I use is Ram Das, be mm. here now. Because mm. every time I say that, it just makes everything okay. And before any moment of, um, if I'm getting anxious, like I was bringing up, I'm just trying to think of the most recent time I was really feeling anxious was I was live DJing a big event for the first time. It was kind of like, you know, doing your first small talk in a TED, TED, vet, TED event. It was like, okay, I'm doing DJing live for the first time in front of a room of 500 people at a VIP party. It's like, oh my gosh. And I knew I'd done the work. I'd put in the hundreds and thousands of hours, but I was moving into that anxiety. So I just went up to my room and for five minutes, I just you know, slowed down my breathing and it was like, be here now. And my meditation when I move into anxiety is like, how can I be of service? What can I bring into the room? What does this room need? How can I bring joy? It's coming to that place, like you said, moving that lens off myself and through breathing and bringing awareness to my thoughts, because that's what I think the breath is our anchor to the present moment. And it's the only way when you're moving into anxiety or fear or flight, you have to, you're not going to think your way out of it. <laughs> There's no way. You're going to just think yourself more into it. But your breath, if you bring your attention and your awareness, and you guys know this better than anyone, certainly better than me, um, Kelly and Amy, the, the breath work anchors you to the present mm -hmm. moment, into all that you are versus all that you think you should be. So my, my mindfulness practice happens in unexpected moments, normally when I'm stressed. 
I try and set my mind. Um, I did really well at the beginning of this year. I'm trying to revisit again with the fall of just starting my morning with, you know, 10 minutes of mindfulness because it just, it makes everything better. Even if it's just noticing how busy your mind is that morning. And setting the day up for positivity. Exactly. Just noticing, not not ruminating on it, but reflecting, oh, I'm especially chatty this morning. My mind is like, especially on high alert. And then through that awareness, not beating yourself up, go, ah, so I'm going to have to be a little bit more aware today. Maybe practice more self-compassion. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe whatever, whatever the reason, maybe I've been traveling a lot. But again, just that awareness through our breathing just makes everything more playful, bring more joy to it and then allows us to be our best selves. Talk to me a little bit about what you call benefit seeking and how that might play into it. Is that related? Yeah, I mean, that all came from the world of uh, positive psychology. I was so blessed that I went back to school for a year and studied with one of the thought leaders in this space of positive psychology called Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. And positive psychology is really the study of what it takes to be your best human self and to flourish and thrive. And we tend to be fault against that negativity bias. If we're not aware of it, especially with ourselves, we tend to be really good at finding all the flaws, you know, picking holes in things, but forgetting how to like, I talk about this as my, you know, some of my coaches in my younger years, they were really good at breaking me down. They just forgot to build me back up again. So sometimes we have to build ourselves back up. And I think that meditation at the beginning of the day It allows us to notice where our thoughts are going. Are we tipping over to the negative space, finding, you know, being a fault finder? And how can we move over to being a benefit seeker, seeing all that is good? It's not ignoring, this is where positive psychology got a bad rap. It's not ignoring the things that need to be strengthened and improved upon, but it's making the foundation of you know, of where we're moving from, where we're speaking from, where we're working from, being that the foundation of positivity, all the good in yourself and your gratefulness, your your inner strengths, your virtues, your values. And then from that place, we get to do the work. And one way, you know, bringing mindfulness into your morning, one quick thing we can do to move over maybe a negative state in our brain to a more positive one is simply think about, as you slow down your breathing, one thing that you're looking forward to in that day. Because we're all very familiar of gratitude. You know, at the end of the day, reflecting back upon, you know, things that we are grateful for. But Martin Seligman, one of the thought leaders in positive psychology, has also shown the benefits of looking forward in anticipation and awe and excitement of something you're looking forward to. Having, bringing meaning and purpose to your everyday. Finding the ordinary, the extraordinary in the seemingly ordinary moments of your day. And that can elevate your, you know, your your feel good emotions and your brain loves to seek more of what it's looking for. Appreciate the good and the good will appreciate. That's really interesting. It follows along, you know, the classic yogic lines that Kelly and I talk about all of the time as one of our, we probably could call our podcast point your mind to the opposite because so much (laughs) of what we talk about is going like walking away from negativity and not pushing it away, but uh, shifting, shifting perspective and shifting attention and shifting focus towards abundance instead of what's lacking, right? Yeah, I love what you say, shifting versus pushing. Because mm-hmm. the minute we push it away, it only gives it more power. But if you're shifting and moving to, like not, you're not pushing away from fear, but you're moving towards, you know, hope, possibility, joy, abundance. I love that because in reality, you're kind of doing the same thing, but you're doing it from a positive, you know, more positive framing versus the negative. I love that, that you know, um, of the perception that you bring to that. Super powerful. Petra, we wanted to talk to you for this episode on shaucha or cleanliness, because it's not just about keeping a clean body or a house, right? But it's about ridding ourselves of toxic thinking and our own limiting beliefs as we've been talking about. So with that in mind, the subtitle of Living the Sutras is a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. And we really want to make sure people have tangible and accessible practices to to do that. So what off-the-map practice really helps you keep from going into a toxic tailspin? 
Well, I think it's two things. I think one is when I notice it and I have time, it's the whole, it's the mantra. Find a mantra that works for you. It doesn't have to be be here now. It could be I'm enough. One of mine for a while was I refuse to beat myself up. <laughs> like a mm. mini mantra, it'll snap you back to your senses, literally. Because when you bring your attention to, uh, and say it out loud, you bring it to your attention to one of your senses, it moves you out of worrying about the past or obsessing about the future. Because a grateful heart and presence of mind, perfectionism and worries and, you know, those toxic thoughts can't exist in the present. It's a physical impossibility for you to be worrying if you're living in the present. So that's one. The other one is what I call the diamond rule. We've, you know, we say, we often say treat others as they would like to be treated, you know, as we would like to be treated. That's the, that's the golden rule. And then actually there's the platinum rule. Well, no, treat others and speak to others as they would like to be spoken to because their sweet spot might be different to ours. And then mm. there's the diamond rule. Treat and speak to yourself as you would speak to those that you love. And then sometimes if I'm having a really bad day, I imagine a thought bubble outside of my head and go, girl, if everyone could read the thoughts you're having right now, what would you be thinking? Like, I, it's just like, life is too short. And, you know, it's that sweetness of the gratitude. And it's, and I think also, here's the other thing, living your life on and off the mat, there are going to be great days and not so good days. And it's also recognize, I call it like interval training for your heart. <laughs> there are going to be days when this work is easy. You're like, oh my gosh, I crushed today. I was so grateful and I woke up and everything was wonderful. And there's other days when you go, wow, I just lost three hours and I was ruminating on something. And so it is. Let it go. Do the best you can with what you can, what you have. Be here now, reboot, and just, it's just those mini do-overs. And some days, you know, the power of the breath, like you had said, between every inhale and before every exhale, we get another chance to do a do-over. Sometimes you need all 16,000 do-overs, and sometimes you only need a couple. Just don't beat yourself up. Recognize you're being perfectly human, and we're all in this struggle and joy and messy, beautiful lesson called life together. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was really, I'm so glad we finally connected. We've been talking about it forever. So <laughs> it's nice that we finally got to have you on. It's a pleasure. And, you know, connecting two people's schedule is one thing. Connecting three is a whole nother. So I'm completely <laughs> honored and blessed that we all got to spend this time together. Thank you so much. Our great pleasure. Thank you. for listening to Living It. For those of you who want to find out about Petra and where she's speaking, visit PetraColber.com. You can find links to this as well as more information about the resources we discussed in this episode in the show notes or at our website, livingitpodcast.com. For those of you interested in deepening your practice while also enjoying the sun and sea, Amy is leading her annual retreat in Mexico, December 1st through the 8th. Visit tantramadison.com for more information. For those of you who can't escape to the beach, I'm leading an online course on the sutras this fall. Send me an email at kelly at livingitpodcast.com to learn more. And remember, listeners get 30% off Yoga for Healthy Aging, a guide to lifelong well-being, and living the sutras at Shambhala with the code SAUCHA30, and 20% off at Alchemy Forever with the code SUTRA20. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love doing this. Please share the podcast with your friends. Message us on Instagram at Kelly Donardo and at Amy Pierce Hayden. Email us through our website, livingitpodcast.com. Subscribe in iTunes, write a review, all of the things. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep the podcast going. Thanks for listening.